a number of weeks ago. We began a verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday evenings. We're back there this evening in chapter 3, having just uh, completed the past few messages, focusing on God's wisdom versus man's so-called wisdom, the wisdom of God, the supernatural enabling to understand and comprehend spiritual truth. Lost man can't have God's wisdom. They're thinking that this is static electricity because uh, of the uh, of the air. Uh, human wisdom doesn't uh, hold a candle to what God offers in His Others would say, well, not actually, however, and then uh, list all kinds of, of, of thoughts and all. I am convinced of the accuracy of this statement. There isn't any such thing as a, quote, carnal Christian. And I want us to look at this difficult passage and really labor over it a bit because it's just four verses. But it's really the exclusive place in Scripture, uh, in the New Testament, from which this concept is taken. And so uh, if it can be uh, addressed, spoken to, then, uh, then we'll have, be on better footing. Or I'm all wet on this. Well, it's one of the two, I would guess, because it can't, both positions cannot be equally plausible. Uh, this evening, we encounter, once again, the Apostle Paul scolding the Corinthians they were a special category of believers known as carnal Christians, but because they, in fact, behaved fleshly in any number of ways. And so we're speaking more about the position, who you are, your standing in Christ, and not, um, and not just one's behavior when it talks about carnality. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual or spiritual ones, but as unto carnal or fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk 
and not with solid food. For to this time you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now you might be thinking, well, preacher, it very clearly says right there that they were carnal Christians. I'm aware of that. <laughs> what are we to do with that, uh, that type of phrasing and terminology? Let me uh, offer three primary points. First of all, just the introduction, introducing this uh, debate. And it is a debate among, uh, am I not on? I don't think I was on, sorry guys. Uh, it is a debate among uh, commentators, theologians, and all about the nature of man. Now, not so much the nature of fallen man, because conservative orthodox commentators all generally agree that uh, mankind, uh, when, uh, are, when they are outside of Christ, when a person is outside of Christ, he or she is spiritually dead, uh, depraved, and in need of regeneration, being made new, being given life. But many hold that a person who gets saved can have two different natures. That is, a spiritual nature as a saved person and a carnal nature as a saved person. And when you add that all up, you end up with three different kinds of natures. I've even read as recently as this afternoon, uh, boning up again on this, just kind of uh, once again uh, reviewing what I've studied this week, and there was one person who offered four natures. That is, uh, the nature of the lost person, and then the believer having potentially three natures. A spiritual nature, a, uh, an infant nature, that is, a, a, a spiritual babe, and a carnal nature. So there's all kinds of ideas running around out there about this. Many say um, that the believer's struggle with sin is because the old and the new natures battling from within. Please hear what I'm saying. Uh, this is not a know-it-all. I understand I'm in the minority here. I'm at least somewhat humble enough to recognize and admit uh, I have the minority view here. But I am convinced that a believer only has one nature. One nature. There aren't multiple natures in the life of the believer, in the being of the believer. You no longer have an old nature. You no longer have that old man uh, battling against the new man inside of you and who's going to win out. The strong dog or the weak dog, as it were, and that concept that is offered. I'm convinced that is not the case. The case. In fact, Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says uh, that I've been made a new creation, that it says in Galatians 2.20, the old nature has been crucified with Christ, and now I've been given the new nature, according to Romans 8. It is a spiritual nature, not a fleshly nature. In fact, 2 Peter 1.4 says it's the divine nature. It's God's nature. Second, uh, check that. First John three nine says, "I cannot continue to live a, a life of sin because I have His seed planted within me. His nature is in me." And so, 
I'm, con I'm convinced by the, uh, the great volume of New Te Testament text on this that the believer only has one nature and he cannot be in a perpetual state of carnality um, because every believer is predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and all that he has have been predestined. Now, of course, we're at various stages along that way. Uh, none of us having arrived in this, uh, in this earthly walk and uh, from the moment of, of salvation, uh, you are growing just like you do, uh, just like you do in a physical sense. And take the analogy of human life. Jesus said that you must be born again. Well, uh, wh what kind of um, categories are there for physical life? Well, there is the category of non-physical life. That is, you're, you're dead or you've not even come on the scene yet. And there's the category of living physical life, right? Is there any other category other than dead or alive for this earthly experience? Is there any? Help me out. Any other category. And so similarly, in an analogous way, um, there are two categories, I'm convinced, not three, certainly not four, uh, of people in this world, that is, those who are saved, those who are not. Of course, there are spiritual babes, um, but that's just simply a growth process, and we all understand that and recognize that. Paul was not saying in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, that there's a new category of person. That was by way of introduction. Secondly, the explanation. How is that the case? I want to explain the idea of the supposed three natures of man, that is natural, carnal, and spiritual, and that it runs contrary. It runs contrary to the theme of the New Testament. Again, you've been given a new nature, which is the divine nature. The old man is crucified with Christ. He's no longer a, a part of your life. He's gone. He's dead. He's been removed. And you have had breathed into you the new nature, which is God's nature, the divine nature. And in fact, it runs contrary to the whole theme uh, of 1 John. And 1 John is the book uh, given in Scripture, which tells us that it is the book to give evidence that you've been redeemed. 1 John 5, 13, uh, that you may know that you have eternal life. How can you know that you have eternal life? Are you characterized by these qualities of love and of life and of truth and of righteousness? Or are you not characterized? Not are you saved and you are carnal. No, it really only gives two options. You're saved or you're not saved. And if you're saved, you'll be characterized by the qualities of found in 1 John. You see, believers will persevere. It says in 1 John 2.19 that there were those who went out from them. They left the faith. Why did they leave the faith? Because they were carnal? No, because they were never of us. They actually weren't ever genuine believers. Now, answer this uh, uh, in your mind by way of practical example. Were those in and around uh, the earthly ministry of Christ, were they convinced or at least uh, they didn't have any doubt about the salvation of Judas, Judas Iscariot, they thought he was saved. And in today's theology, when a Judas pops up, many will say, well, he's a carnal Christian. 
You see, the rest of us are spiritual Christians, but he's a carnal Christian. No, he's not. He was lost. You appreciate the distinction there? And, uh, uh, and so by way of illustration, it says that in 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart. Leave iniquity. Uh, it appeared that Jude, Judas had accepted Christ, but he, in fact, was lost because there are only two categories of people, only two natures, the saved and the lost. Romans 8 makes that clear, verses 6 through 9. For it says, for to be carnally minded is death. If that's who you are, it's death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind is an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It can't even be subject to the law of God because there's death which is reigning. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But, if you, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if you are saved, you are not carnal. Oh, to be sure, I can still sin. I can still look like I once was. I can maybe even want to run over a, a, and a, a un, uh, unhook that uh, carcass from the cross, that old man of me, and strap him to my back. But that's not who I am. And the Apostle Paul, the very same apostle, makes that clear here in our text. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If God's spirit dwells in you, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, well, he's carnal. No, he's lost. Y'all, are you hearing the argument on this? And, uh, and that's what brings us to uh, this, uh, this text here. And really, the difficulty of understanding it. One other, uh, one other uh, illustration, biblically. Galatians 5, 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. I'd, I'd have to look to see if that was uh, uh, middle or passive. Uh, it sounds, the way it's translated, it sounds uh, middle voice, but uh, it might be passive. Um, Brother Garrett, do you know, can you tell me if that's middle or passive verb, uh, have crucified? Uh, because it makes a difference who did the crucifying um, on that. You got it right there? Oh, it's active. Okay, uh, then it's just, well, that's even easier. Uh, it's just saying it's happened. It's not saying who did it, it's simply saying uh, the, uh, the affections and the lusts of the flesh were crucified. And that takes place, of course, at the point of salvation. Now, I can hear you asking. I didn't hear a noise, but uh, I'm anticipating someone asking, Preacher, I've got it. Now, why do I care? What difference does it make if I hold to two natures or three natures or even four natures if you want to really imbibe in this argument? What actual difference does it make? It makes a world of difference. Because if I hold to the correct biblical view of two natures, then those who chronically live in sinfulness, those whose lifestyle is openly opposed to God, I can conclude those people are not carnal. What are they? Lost. And so I'm not trying to disciple that person I'm trying to evangelize that person. Do you appreciate the distinction and the importance of that? It, it altogether changes 
your approach. It all together makes a difference. And of course, um, if that's the case for any individual here, um, having an understanding makes a world of difference. If I hold to the correct biblical view, I am easily able to interpret the plethora of verses which talk about light, darkness, good, evil, righteousness, unrighteousness, save, lost. In fact, even going back uh, uh, to Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sinners in the seat of the scornful. That's not talking about three categories of lost people. It's describing lost people in three different ways. They're lost. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. How many categories of, of persons were in Psalm 1 that I just quoted? Two. Two ca- There's no third category. And it's the case throughout Scripture. This text alone is used to, as a springboard to teach the errant view of the carnal Christian. The carnal Christian view lives or dies on this single passage and how it is interpreted. Now let me give you a key principle for interpretation. And of course you know the three most important principles of interpretation are context, context, context. That's right. Let me offer you another one that I don't think I've, I've shared openly, at least I haven't in a long time, and it's this. Seek to interpret more obscure passages in light of more clear passages. That is a cardinal principle of hermeneutics Bible interpretation. I do not build a case on that which is not as clear. I build a case, I build a theology, I establish a, and hold on to a theology in, on passage, verses and passages which are crystal clear. Uh, and I've cited many, many of them, and you can find many of them uh, uh, which are extremely clear as well on this subject. <clears throat> now, for our text, and we're done, and this will be brief, the interpretation. Why was the idea of carnality included in this passage? Well, remember the theme of 1 Corinthians 1440. Let all things be done decently and in order. They were in chaos. They were acting poorly, behaving, not because that was their nature, but because they were, they succumbed to pride. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Jesus and any number of other areas like that. Or uh, they, uh, they uh, were afraid uh, to deal with uh, porneia in the congregation in chapter 5. Uh, that even, even the, the Gentiles, even the pagans uh, would not tolerate. So they did things. They behaved in such a way that when you took a, a snapshot and you put all those snapshots together, wow, this really does look bad. Oh, by the way, since you've been saved, have you ever acted or reacted in the flesh? Oh, my. Yet that's not who you are. You're living because you're breathing, your heart's beating, and the like. You're not dead. There's two natures. There's two possibilities. And Paul was not saying that they were in an altogether different category, but that they were behaving. It wasn't their being. It was their behaving 
that matter. Now, I shared at the beginning uh, that I am, I have uh, woefully little support for this view. Frankly, uh, at first blush, it's really uh, the, uh, uh, the easy way, uh, and, and I believe the less work, is just to look at it and say, oh, uh, uh, he's introducing a third category and not take into consideration all the theology that that would violate, uh, all the verses that would violate that theology of uh, people are lost or saved. And I couldn't find much support at all. In fact, uh, my favorite commentator, John MacArthur, wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians, uh, and he kind of, to me, kind of straddled the fence a little bit. Wasn't, he didn't come out nearly as clear as I would have anticipated and as I wanted. And almost all of my other uh, favorites, they were, they were like completely drank the Kool-Aid. Well, Paul here is introducing the, the, a third category of personage, another group of people that had not heretofore been addressed. Well, does that mean that he's going to write in 1 Corinthians what violated the book of Galatians and what will violate the book of Romans? Of course not. Until I saw a quote by somebody who was dismissing MacArthur's argument in a book he wrote a decade later, Faith Works. And I thought, okay. And I just found this this afternoon. Hey, thank you, Lord. Maybe I can get some help here, <laughs> some support here. And I don't have it as a quote, so I'm going to read it to you uh, because I find it to be very helpful. MacArthur wrote in his book, Faith Works. Clearly, Paul was accusing the Corinthians of behaving like non-Christians. But Paul was not was, check that, but Paul was most certainly not defining two classes of Christians or three classes of humanity, i.e. saved, carnal, and lost. Um, Paul clearly distinguished between the natural man and he who is spiritual, between the unsaved person and the Christian. He recognized that all Christians are capable of carnal behavior, but never in uh, any of his epistles did the apostle address two classes of believers. And, that's, and I just found this this afternoon, and this message was done a long time ago, and so I was glad to see that kind of support. Uh, he continues, so according to Paul, all Christians are spiritual. As we shall see, Paul also recognizes that all believers behave carnally at times. These Corinthians Christians were obviously immature. That's why Paul called them babes in Christ, chapter 3 and verse 1. But unlike many so-called carnal Christians today, they were not indifferent to spiritual things. In fact, their allegiance to particular leaders, Apollos, Paul, uh, and the like, and their abuse of the gifts reflected a misplaced zeal, maybe an ignorance. They just didn't know. These Christians clearly had spiritual desires no matter how imperfectly they pursued them. Close quote. And so, that is to say that this text, verses 1 through 4, does not allow for, does not teach, does not support in any way, shape, or form the concept of a person living in a state of being a carnal Christian. But it certainly uh, introduces and intimates, if not clearly teaches, that any believer 
can uh, act, have a snapshot of your life, and it be filled with flesh. The word carnal is normally or often translated fleshly. And what it's saying is that believers, and especially those in our context here, were acting in such a divisive way, succumbing to the sinful impulses of the soul, that they looked at times like they were lost. Now, now let me, let me uh, hang my trichotomy out for you to uh, accept, reject, or, or muse upon. I'm a trichotomist. Some of you are as well. Some of you don't know if you're a trichotomist. Kathy, are you a trichotomist? Okay, good, because she knows that I am. <laughs> now, let's have her stand up and define that. Um, a trichotomist in, in theology means body, soul, and spirit. You say, well, isn't everybody that? Oh, no. Uh, many are dichotomists. Many would hold that the soul and spirit are synonyms in the same thing, all those two, two Greek words and all three uh, uh, aspects of your, your humanity are mentioned. Uh, um, I pray, God, your body, soul, and spirit may be preserved. I can't remember where the text is. What is it? 1 Thessalonians 5, and what verse? Look that up, Luke, would you? Is, for, is that also the one he quoted? 1 Thessalonians 5, tell us what the verse is. It's important what I'm, where I'm going with this. Read that, Luke, please. And, of course, uh, Paul, having written in 1 Thessalonians 4, he, he saw uh, the rapture of the church taking place in his lifetime. And so that would be consistent with that. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 23 makes it clear, I'm convinced, uh, that uh, people are trichotomic. Tri, we are a trichotomy. Namely, we have a physical body. Is that redeemed? Is my physical body redeemed? No, it doesn't feel like it. It hurts more every day. It's de disintegrating and degenerating more and more every day. And by the way, so is yours. So when Christ died on the cross, to uh, by his stripes we are healed, it is not addressing physical illness. Zero. In fact, First Peter says what it's addressing, namely our salvation. So our physical bodies are not redeemed at all at this point. Our physical bodies are wasting away, dying. That is not any evidence of regeneration. We're not made new physically at the point of salvation. Can I get a witness? Okay, that's clear. Is one's spirit fully redeemed at the point of salvation? 100% your spirit is made alive. Not sure? Don't agree? I'm convinced of that because what is it that was dead and is now alive? Your spirit. That is that aspect of your being which communes with God. What is left? Your soul. I'm convinced that Scripture teaches your soul is being made new. 
Your spirit is made new. Your body is not new. And it won't be until the resurrection. But your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, the affections that come at you, uh, that which is subject to temptation and the like, is being made new. And it has not arrived at that point yet. So how can, how can a believer be, uh, be put into that category, so-called believer, of being carnal by living chronically and perpetually in sin, where the Apostle Paul, I think, makes it clear, and, and the Apostle John, that this is, in fact, not a believer at all, but someone who is lost. Now, we're going to be done with this. Look at chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. Chapter 6, and let's see the two natures described. Chapter 6 and verse 9. Know you not, don't you know, certainly you're aware, is what Paul is saying, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on to describe the unrighteous. And then in verse 11, such were some of you. You were like that, but you're now washed. You're now sanctified. You're now justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. No middle category there. You're either righteous or you're unrighteous. You're saved or you're lost. Uh, and the reason that it makes a difference is because of how I, uh, how I view uh, myself. Let everyone examine himself to see if he be in the faith. We're told in 2 Corinthians, how I view others, what approach I take with, with that. And really, it's an apologetic. Because when a, a, a professing believer, a church member, is living um, perpetually in unrepentant sin, I have every uh, justification to approach that one with the gospel. You all see that? It makes a difference how we understand uh, what this is saying. The 19th century English poet, Alfred Lord Tennyson, wrote, Ah, for a new man to arise in me, that the man I am may cease to be. That is salvation. That is exactly what happens when one is redeemed. Jesus comes into the life. That life is, uh, is, is awoke, uh, uh, is uh, awakened. Is that the right word? Awakened, I think. Um, and forever changed from that moment forward, never to be the old man again. Yes, he or she will still commit sin, and have moments of that, and will be grieved and will not long to live in that. Many moons ago, some over 25 years ago, approaching 30, one of my children, who was, uh, this child thought there was salvation, he or she was saved, and could tell you the gospel and tell you what salvation is, but was struggling uh, with uh, sin, disobedience, and uh, 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 attitude, and just chronically all the time. 
And uh, I asked this child of mine, what makes you think that you are saved? I said, I can't, I can't see your heart. I'm not saying you're not saved. I can't know that about someone else. But why do you think you are saved? I asked this child, pushing 30 years ago. And the response was, when I do bad, when I sin, when I disobey, I feel bad about it. I said, that is a wonderful symptom that you are offering, but it's only half of the story. It's only one side of the coin. The coin has two sides, heads or tails. It, you're only giving me one side of the characteristics of a true believer. For not only does a true believer anguish over personal sin, a true believer also hungers and thirsts after righteousness. You see, both of those will be operating in the life. And so if you come across someone who is behaving in, in a fleshly manner, and does not particularly care other than, okay, I got in trouble again. Evangelism is the answer. Because if there's not a hunger and thirst after the things of God, then that person, it sure appears, does not have the divine nature, which will pursue the Lord. Are you all tracking with me? So it's both. It's both and. It's not either or. An aversion to sin, grieving over sin, godly sorrow, which I didn't know that I would have before I got saved. I didn't know that was part of the package. I sure found out right away because I could sin all day long and not even know it before I was saved. And I couldn't get away with sin afterwards. And I never had any care about the things of God before I was saved. And there was a continual, now nearly 47 years later, thirst, hunger for the things of God having been saved. What's the difference? New nature. <clears throat> the believer has one nature, the redeemed nature. I'm convinced of the accuracy of that. Lord, I'm thankful for the truth of your word where I am in error, make that clear. Where this is accurate, make that compelling as only you can. And Lord, that we would leave here, I would leave here this day, <clears throat> never being light on sin, never taking <clears throat> the goodness, the kindness of God for granted. What, shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? God forbid. And so, Lord, um, in a fresh and anew, I yield, surrender to your lordship. and want to act and react in a way which is pleasing to you. You delight in it. And which is a testimony of new life in Christ. Bless your word to our hearts this evening, Lord Jesus. In your glorious name, we do pray. All God's people said.